Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. This show is a safe space with real conversations to help you live free and pursue your God-given dreams. In today's episode, I have the honor of chatting with author Maddie Jackson Selectman about her new book, Lemons on Friday, Trusting God Through My Greatest Heartbreak. Now, if you're a country music fan, like myself, I'm an Oklahoma girl here, now in Texas, you might know of Maddie's dad, Alan Jackson, especially his song, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. But no, we did not discuss that song or her dad, but we did go deep as Maddie shared about faith, grief, and hope through the loss of her husband in a tragic accident. Be sure to stick around till the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. In this segment of the show, we are going to discuss three types of grief as well as the stages of grief. I think it's a great resource for everyone to have in their toolbox since grief is just a part of life. So let me introduce you to Maddie in case you don't know her yet. She previously owned a wine bar in Nashville and also has a degree in creative writing from the University of Tennessee. Tragically, Maddie lost her husband of less than a year, Ben Selectman, in September 2018 after he suffered a traumatic brain injury while on vacation in Florida. But despite her grief, Maddie is pushing forward and she's dedicated herself to helping others. Maddie and her business partner started a uh, merchandise brand dubbed Nashville in order to help women and children in need, most specifically orphans, widows, and trafficked women. Guys, you're going to love this conversation. You're really going to love Maddie as well. So please help me welcome her to the show right now. Well, hello, Maddie, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. And before we jump in to the conversation that we're going to have today, I love to ask all my guests, what is a random or maybe a fun fact about you that we would not have just read on your professional bio? Um, I have driven a lot of things. Like I have had a chance to, I don't want to say fly a plane, but hold a plane in the air while flying a helicopter. My dad is a big, he's just like a transportation guy learned to drive boats when we were little and um, actually learned to drive a, like a stick shift little bitty car when I was like five, he got us a little kid one and taught us how to do it like with the clutch and everything. And um, I don't think I could do it well now, but I think I could get someone to the hospital if they needed to go. That's so, so cool. I don't know. Yeah. That's funny you bring that up. Cause we have our oldest daughter just turned 15. And so my husband's starting to teach her how to drive and I grew up driving a stick and he's like, how can we find a stick? He's like, I think every kid needs to know how to drive a stick. Uh, Cause what if you have to, you know, like, <laughs> I yeah. was like, yeah, I don't know if we can still find one or not, but um, I like that. That's a fun fact. Um, okay. So today we're going to talk about your book and really your story. Um, the name of your book is lemons on Friday. Is this your first book? Yes, it is. Okay. You see yourself writing more. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. You're a really good author. You are very engaging, a good storyteller. It's not often that I get I get a lot of books in the mail. Anybody who follows me on Instagram knows I usually have like a weekly unveiling of all the books. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's not often that I 
really will sit and just read a book front to back because, you know, it's time consuming. But also, yeah, your story was great, but you're also a great storyteller. So um, for the listeners, though, who they are going to know you after this, but maybe some of them who are like, who's Maddie? I don't I've never met her yet. Can you tell us a little about you and your story and what led you to write this book? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Nashville, live here now and um, met my husband Ben shortly after college and we're both Tennessee kids, Tennessee University of Tennessee grads. And um, we met when we were 25 and fell in love very quickly, had a very fast kind of passionate, fun romance. He was that kind of person with a big personality and just super engaging and excited about life. And so that sort of happened quickly and we ended up marrying in the fall of 2017. And then in September of 2018, um, lost him really suddenly to a severe brain injury while we were on vacation and just out on a boat. Again, my dad loves, we have all these things. We drive her out on the boat and he slipped just on a wet step, getting up there and fell back, hit his head on a concrete dock and ended up being in the ICU for 12 days and multiple brain surgeries and, and a medically induced coma and eventually ended up passing away um, 12 days later. And that was September of 2018. And it was three weeks before our first wedding anniversary. So it was obviously an incredibly surprising and surreal and tragic experience. And just the whirlwind of our whole engagement and marriage. And then his passing was just, it was just so fast. I mean, it's just something you never, ever imagine. I mean, anyone would say that, but you truly don't. So that was a little over three years ago now. And um, I have, by the grace of God, been able to now kind of share a look behind the scenes of my story with, gosh, thousands of people. So it's crazy. It's crazy to even think it's only been three years, but he continues to, to use the story to heal me and other people, which is such a gift. Yeah. You know, before we hit record here, I'd asked you, have you been doing a lot of interviews? And you're like, yeah, I just did one a little bit ago. And I just want to just take a minute and honor you and thank you for being willing to go here. I know this can't be easy to talk publicly about this, to write publicly about it, but then to get on a podcast circuit, you know, and like sit here and retell it and stuff. So I just want to honor you for that and like say that I see that and I recognize it. And um, on behalf of my listeners, want to thank you for being willing to to go here. And um, I just I'm just grateful for that because you don't see this very often where people will take something that, like you said, just who you could have never dreamed in your wildest years ever. This being something that you were going to walk through. And yet here you are speaking about it in hopes that you can encourage other people who are walking through it, because I can tell you as a counselor a lot of people are walking through some hard, hard stuff. And as a counselor, I also want to thank you for writing this book because I've already recommended it to several of my clients Mm -hmm. who are like, I'm like, I just want them to feel like there's hope, you know, Um, to, to just be able to almost feel like, your friend, you know, they're, they're getting to have a friend come alongside them as they're going through some really tough stuff. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for being willing to share what did make you decide, you know, like you said, it's been three years. What made you decide to, to be vocal about your story and to share this with other people? 
Well, truthfully, it's, it's a lot of the reasons you just said, and I appreciate you saying that so much. I love the thought of being a friend with somebody else in their pain. And honestly, there was a very uh, poignant moment for me about a year or so after Ben had passed and I was reading um, C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, which he wrote after basically his memoir after his wife passed cancer. And I, there were so many points in his, which was which, basically a journal where I remember thinking, this is, this is what I've felt like for a year that I didn't even know how to articulate to myself. And this is somebody who, if he were here, would sit across from me and say, I get it and it'll get better, you know? And, and it was the first time that I didn't feel isolated in my pain, not for lack of incredible community and support. And honestly, not for lack of other widow mentors. Like it's not that it's just that someone vocalizing and inviting you into the most fragile parts of their pain and, and identifying that it, it's like the most fragile part of yours was so powerful to me. And at that point I had been journaling just to process and deal with everything. I have always been a writer. I love writing. So it just sort of was my natural outlet. And when I was reading that, it just, I, I thought I, not everybody's going to read CS Lewis. What if somebody read my story and it made them feel the way that I felt right then. And, mm-hmm. and that was the point at which I sort of went back and was like, all right, what have I written in this journal for a year? And could any of it sort of, cohere into a book and what are the main questions and sort of themes that I'm grappling with and whatever, and then started working on it. And I guess that was really two years ago, but it, that's when I, I really thought, gosh, this could actually make a difference. Yeah. You know, and I loved how sprinkled throughout your book, you, it was also really helpful even for, you know, the listeners who maybe haven't walked through something like this. I know everybody listening, myself included, has either walked through it or you've walked alongside somebody who has, right? And so it's such a great resource for even those of us who haven't walked through it personally to go, oh, that's what's going through their mind or a version of that, right? Because obviously grief looks different for everybody. And even just you made a comment, and I would love for you to speak to this, how there were certain ways when you first kind of ventured out into the world after, you know, um, you decided, okay, it's time for me to get back out there and time for me to see people again, that you would be greeted differently by some people. Some people would just say nothing at all. Some people would say the wrong thing. So can you speak to that for a second? Uh, Of course, everybody's different, but from your perspective, what was helpful and what wasn't after such a traumatic loss that people would say and do? Yeah, I, I, sympathize for people so much more deeply now when you do want to try to do and say the right thing for someone hurting. And even after what I've walked through, you know, I've kind of stumbled with people even since then, because as you said, everyone's different and everyone's grief is different. And even one day to the next with one person, they can need a different thing. So it's, it's hard. And I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify with, you know, the grace answer, but I think there was a point where I kind of noticed some of my people, even my closest people, you could tell they were sort of walking on eggshells just because they didn't want to, it's not a kindness. Like they want to say the right thing. They don't want to make your pain worse, but they also don't want to leave you to have to come to them when you need something, you know? So I I could kind of tell that. And and one of my sweet friends, what I tell people now is the most helpful question to me wasn't what do you need? Because a lot of the time I didn't know it was more, would either of these things be helpful 
see you today. Like, mm. and it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. Or actually, yeah. Wow. I haven't been able to pick up my laundry. That'd be really helpful in a practical sense. And then, you know, in terms of do, does the person want to talk about the person they've lost? Do they want to talk about whatever trial they're facing or do they not? One of my friends said to me, she goes, do you want to talk about Ben today? Or do you want me to tell you everything that's going on with my work and my kids and my husband that's driving me crazy? So you can just live in my world for a minute. You don't have to live in your reality that you hate and you can come into mine. And I thought that was such a kind, that was such a kind thing to say and such a thoughtful thing to say. And there were a lot of days where I wanted to talk about him and I wanted the opportunity to do that without feeling like I was making somebody uncomfortable. But there were a lot of days when I wanted to just, hear what was going on with them and pretend that, you know, my life wasn't what it was for a minute. So I, I just, I always thought that was such a kind way to ask that and just see where the person is at emotionally because it's different every day. You know, you're not the first person I've heard say that about um, how helpful it is to not just be like, let me know if you need something or whatever, because what that reminds me of, you just described a, I'm giving you a this or a that. So I'm giving you two choices. And that reminds me of a closed-ended question versus open-ended. Because open-ended, the sky's the limit, right? You could tell, I mean, you could, you, and that makes you have to be super creative and super dig deep. And like you said, you don't know what you want. Whereas a closed-ended question, it's very simple. It's one word. It's that one, this one, you know, like it just very practical to the point. So I love that. That's really practical and good. All right. What would you say, um, actually, I'll tell you what I want to ask next. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. But last night, I actually, the last few days, um, I got a local hotel room and got away because I'm finishing up my manuscript. It's due in like a couple weeks. So kind of feeling the pressure to get it done. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah. And, um, and so I just got a, a hotel room. And last night, I was kind of just unwinding. And I had your book with me. And I read a, the chapter on the God nods. I don't think that's what it's called. But you talked about the God nods. I want you to tell them about this. And then I want to tell you guys a dream I had last night at a hotel room. So tell them what the God nod was for you. Yeah. So we kind of just, we stole that term, to be honest with you, from a local pastor to Nashville. He wrote a book after his son had passed away at like 19, I think. And that was just sort of, that was their little thing to encourage themselves. And just what it really means is small, tender, little intimate, personal ways that the Lord comforts you and shows up for you. And I, I started seeing them all over the place when I started looking, just things that were specific to Ben and I's marriage or, you know, friends would have lots of friends and family had dreams that were very specific to their relationship with Ben, but all with sort of the resounding message, like he's home, like he's home, he's more joyful than he's ever been, like he wouldn't come back if he had an option. And so those were really sweet for us. And I think I just felt so encouraged when I read this pastor's book because I started praying for them. I started thinking like, okay, other people are having these dreams. They clearly have this experience. I want to ask God for that. I want to ask God for a dream. I want to ask him for a God nod or a small sign that would only, he would only know would be so personal to me, not to confirm that Ben was in heaven. I knew he was but just to comfort my heart and just give me a a hug almost in a way that he can't physically hug us. That's sort of what it felt like. And he, I don't know which one specifically you're talking about, but all the dreams were wonderful. And then he ended up, I, I had this day where I was pulling out of our home and 
I'd been praying and praying, please give me, you know, this God nod. And there were these seven turkeys walking through my neighbor's yard in the rain, in the middle of a rainstorm in the middle of Nashville, like in a commercial shopping area. And there were seven of them, which obviously is like a holy number of completion. And it was also the date of our wedding. And I just, he was a big turkey hunter. And I just remember having such almost palpable peace in that moment that it was just, it was just assurance to just continue to ask God for the little things that you need. And it, it won't always be so blatantly clear, but he's there and he's, he's tender with us. And that's what the God nod started to be for all of us. Yeah. Well, I love that God nod so much because obviously it brought you all, you know, so much peace and joy and continue, you know, helped with your healing process. I also love it because for the listeners that you're listening and you're going, well, I haven't lost a husband or I haven't gone through this, that God nod thing, it gets you through a lot of stuff, you know, like Absolutely. that, just like looking for the Lord in our day. That's something the Lord's really been just, you know, convicting me in a good way just to look for him throughout the day. So I read that chapter last night and I'm going to share something I've not talked about yet publicly just because I hadn't felt like it was the time, but I just felt like God he gave me this dream. I didn't even ask for the dream last night. So I read that chapter. That was the last thing I did. I went to sleep. Didn't, did really just did not even, you know, didn't pray about anything. And I had a dream about actually three years ago, I lost a good friend of mine. She was 27 years old um, to suicide. And that's been, I've not talked about it because it's honestly just been really hard. Like so much, so many, so many thoughts, so many things I've actually spoke at her funeral. And um, I, have wrestled a lot with what could have I done differently? Like just all the things, right? And she comes to my mind a lot. And so anyway, I had a dream about her last night and we were walking in the street and she looked so happy. Like she was just so happy. And I ran up to her and I said, Lindsay, her name was Lindsay. I said, Lindsay, you're alive. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And we were talking and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so thankful you're alive. And then she turned to me and she said, I have to go, but she said, Rachel, start the ministry. And then that, that's what I just remember. I just remember she was so happy. She was like, yes, I'm good. Rachel, start the ministry. And like, anyway, I still don't know what the Lord means by that. But all I know is I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm talking to you yeah. today, that I read that chapter last night. She wasn't even on my brain when I went to sleep. And then I dreamed about her like that, you know? And yeah. um, so anyhow, I just want to just say again, thank you for this book because it's speaking in ways. That's what I love about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we take something that is, um, it, it has tangible facts, right? But then when we insert and infuse the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do, so the tangible facts is your story, you know, like these are the yeah. facts of your story. But when the, when they're God-breathed and we get to see how, how the Lord has showed up in your life, the Holy Spirit can take that same message and just take any situation and, um, and just turn it, you know, for good and to, to bring healing and so much. So anyhow, I just had to share that. I was like, I don't even know what it means yet, but I just had to share that with you and of course with the listeners. So <laughs> I love that so much. And I would, I would encourage people like, don't, don't brush that off. Like you just said, I don't know quite this, what this means yet, but just the timing of everything and the divine nature of it. And you feel a peace when it's from the Lord, you know, and that's from him and, and take time to ask what it, what it's for. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what would you say? So we've talked a lot about, obviously you are starting, you're in a place where you can share these, these good news things, these God nods, but what about somebody who's in the first days of 
really devastating, hard news. How have you wrestled with why? That big, looming why that mm-hmm. hangs over so many people of trying to make sense of things. What, how, what has been helpful for you? I mean, it's it's impossible not to wonder. You know, it's impossible not to wonder. For me, it was not that I should dive this deep into the theology pool, but, you know, it was, was this really an accident or was this part of God's plan for my life? And either one, when you believe in a sovereign God, make it hard to reconcile, you know? So I think what I can offer from my experience that is very true and that brought me more peace than I think even an answer would have is that there was a point where I kept asking that why. And it was just sort of like a gentle little hush, you know, from the Holy spirit that just said, what, what would the why change? And, and that was true. And I think it just, it took, I needed to ask those questions. God like was happy to grapple with me and hear all the ways that I felt let down by him because he didn't save Ben. And I knew that he could have, but there was just kind of a, a release when that question was brought to mind is like, what would the why change? And I remember thinking nothing like it wouldn't bring him back. It wouldn't make my heart any less broken. It wouldn't make me heal any faster. And at this point, I either choose to trust the God that I believe is sovereign and good and is the only thing that can heal my heart, or I keep trying to understand. And I just, I realized it, honestly, it's not a super spiritually mature answer. I just was tired and I didn't think understanding was going to help me heal. And I knew that trusting him would help me heal. And, but that's a, that's a hard choice to make when you feel so broken and so fragile and you are a believer, you know that God could have intervened in this accident. It, you just, it's a choice. It, it was really a point where I got to a choice and I was like, what is going to actually heal me? And it was trust. It wasn't understanding. That question bears repeating. What would the why change? Because I think a lot of people get stuck in the why. And literally yeah. it's like the, the, the valley of the why almost, you know, it's kind of like you're just stuck there. What would you say to somebody who is stuck there? I would say, keep asking. Mm-hmm. If you need, if you need to keep fighting that out with God, like I think about the story about Jacob where they actually wrestle mm-hmm. He's okay. Like he, he can take your biggest, he can take your biggest punches. Like if you need to work through that and you need to be angry about it and you know, you need to kind of process with him that way, do that, but do it with the intention of arriving at a place where if he's not going to give you the answer, you can pray to trust him anyway. And I fight it out, fight it out until you, that's what I did until Mm -hmm. you get to the point where you're, you know what? it's not going to change anything. It's not going to heal me. And I'm tired of fighting you on this. I just need you to heal me. Mm -hmm. And just don't pretend you're okay. If you're not, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Don't feel like not asking why is valiant because it's not, if it isn't true, if you really want to know, keep asking, you may get a dream, you may get an answer. You know, I didn't, but I think in the grappling with God, you, you will see, I just keep using the word tender Uh, side of him like he'll let you fight it out with him and he will hold you so tightly when you finally surrender and put your fist down Mm -hmm. let's talk about your faith through this whole thing has it wavered at all I I, not my faith I never started to not believe Mm -hmm. if that's what you mean my understanding of God and who he is and what prayer is and 
so many things about my faith that I had, I think, just taken at face value were tested in a very real way. So in that regard, it was a lot of addressing, is this really what I believe the Bible says? Is this really how I think God's hand works in my life? And finding scriptural answers to that. It has, as a whole, bolstered my faith completely. And to be honest with you, I, you know, have always, my faith has always been a part of my life. I'm not sure it was the foundation of my life until I walked through all of this. I mean, not in a real way where everything's centered around it. Um, but it's changed me in a tremendous way. And, and I want my priorities to be what God's priorities are. And I'm still working through a lot of those, you know, but it, it changed my heart in a big way. Yeah. How can we, cause that you just said something there that I think, again, all of us as believers to shift our faith to where it's our foundation. I think we have a lot of Christians walking around that have faith that's kind of up here. If they could see my hands, you know, it's like, it's uh, it's yeah. more, more up, up, up where we want it to be, but then to actually stand on it, <laughs> that looks a little yeah. bit different. How can we do that as believers, really be people who stand on the foundation of faith? Man, that's a great question. Um, I think it's kind of a two, twofold answer. I mean, for me, everything in my life was undone and unstable, or at least it felt that way. And I think that because I, my heart was for God already, that I craved the word. I craved prayer time. I craved that because I think I knew deep down it was the only stability I was going to have. And I'm grateful to have been at rock bottom and have learned that. And I was sort of forced into that. I think it's harder to make it the foundation when things are going well, to be honest with you. And so I would say, don't, don't wait till you hit rock bottom to make that daily rhythm, whatever it is in however it looks for you. I mean, it's simple, but like know the word of God, just like sit in the word of God. And if, especially if you're a person who maybe feels intimidated by the Bible or doesn't know as much about it, or you're new to faith or you've been hurt by the church or the list goes on and on, man, just learn about Jesus. Like literally read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, watch the chosen, you know, talk to somebody who knows Jesus because it's totally his heart and his power and his just desire to heal us and comfort us. That is what is going to carry you through. And that's what becomes the foundation because it's not scriptures to remember rules to follow. It's a person who you start to understand can literally carry you through anything. Yeah. I love that. I love that you brought up that it's it's not rules to follow. Yeah, because that religious religion has never saved anybody. <laughs> Relationship with Jesus. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and religion can't heal your heart. Mm-hmm. Like it just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about I'm so thankful that this is no longer something people say, or at least I don't think people say it anymore. Um, it used to be a big thing to say that time heals all wounds. Um, I think I think it, that's mostly been debunked by most people, but we know it's not true. So what would you say for you over the last three years? How have things shifted with as time has gone on? Has it gotten easier? Yes. And I think I'm, I'm totally with you. I remember no, no one's saying that in a trite way. I think people said it as an encouragement, like this will get better with time is what they meant. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially early on, I felt 
so resistant to that idea because I didn't want to, I wanted to be better. Like I, truthfully, I just, I was like, I don't want to feel this bad. I don't want to have to wait on another month or another year and be at the mercy of this, of time to heal. I just hated that idea. And what I will say and sort of why I titled that chapter that way is to address this is to me, that's neither fundamentally true or untrue. Like time is not the one thing that's going to heal you. Like Jesus is the one thing that's going to heal you. Treatment and counseling is going to help heal you. Community is going to help heal you. All these things. Time I think is an important factor. And what I've learned is that with all those other essential things and essential people, time helps you, at least for me, time helped me learn what my hurt looked like. And it helped me learn when it came out the right way, when it came out the wrong ways, when I dealt with it healthily, when I dealt with it unhealthily. And it gave me tools to start to manage my grief, which made it less, not even less painful, but less debilitating. And you start to almost, it's a weird thing to say, but you almost start to learn how to relate to it. Like you would learn how to relate to another person. You just have to learn how your grief acts and how you process it and what the hardest days look like and how to approach them. And I think time really does help in that way, you know, and, and just like a physical wound, it heals with time and treatment and, you know, appropriate measures, but the scar doesn't go away. It just becomes scar tissue and not a gaping wound. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's truly the same. So in that, in that regard, I think there's truth to it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a factor among many others that really do help, but it takes you being intentional and you putting in the work that you need. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you said this because I did want to clarify what I meant by that time doesn't heal all wounds. It heals if you're actually working on it. You know, it's kind Absolutely. of like, a, a if it's to your point about a physical wound, if I had a physical wound that I just was ignoring and not treating yeah, at all, right. it's going to get worse. And so, right. again, I've counseled people in their 70s that have wounds from when they were kids that are still there, still large and in charge because they have tried their hardest to stuff it and have never addressed it. And so, yeah, if you're actually actively working on it and letting things come up and letting the Lord do that work, then of course time, you know, time is your friend and time's going to be there for you. So it's all about that intentionality with it. Yeah. I love how you describe that. That's a great combination of those two. I do feel bad. Um, you know, sometimes like that that quote in particular, I don't know where it originated from, but I always think about, you know, as an author, I'm like, sometimes I'll feel bad for authors because you don't know the context they said something in, you know, when it's been decades ago that they wrote it. I'm like, I'm sure somebody just grabbed yeah. a quote and took it and, you know, never even looked at what they were really, uh, how they were referencing it in in context. Um, well, Maddie, I'm, I've loved our conversation today, but before we go, I, um, I do want to let listeners know how they can connect with you, but do you have any just final words of encouragement for anybody listening who is just really in a hard place right now and just is wondering, where do I go from here? What, what What's a baby step I can take today to get healing? Man, I would say as much as we hate it, it's 24 hours of the time. And so a lot of the ways that I had to learn to show up for myself is to sort of like take a mini inventory of the day of the hour. I mean, whatever you need and try to find one thing that you think, you know, could pour into your soul that day. And maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a walk. Maybe it's the list is endless. 
don't, I mean, honor those things. Like don't think those things are small because I think it, you, your heart comes back together very, very slowly. And I think it takes a lot of different things on a lot of different days to mend it back. And I think we want to be past the, the hurt so quickly, but it's just, it truly is 48 hours or 24 hours at a time. And God's mercies really are new every morning and just, invite him in and, and invite your people in the ones you trust. I, I didn't ask for help and I resisted even a little for a while because I think I felt like a burden to people and you're just not, you're not a burden to the the safe people that love you. They want to help you so badly and let them like, that's what I would say. Let them help you and let them and the Lord do it 24 hours at a time. Yeah. Where can the listeners connect with you and obviously get a copy of this book? So you can buy the book, all the places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I, I read the audiobook, So if you're more of a listener than a reader, that was a really fun experience. You'll get to hear me read the whole thing. And then they can follow me on Instagram. It's MJ Selectman. And I actually have a podcast called She's in the City, um, which is similar. We talk to women of faith just about all sorts of walks and struggles and basically just want to encourage and break the isolation of what we face as women. And that's at She's in the City. And um, my nonprofit organization, which is a women's apparel brand, is Nashville. So that's just at Nashville. So those are those are my places. Those are all my places. <laughs> and those are all on Instagram, right? Yes. Okay. Any of those websites too or just Instagram? You can go to nashville.com and then my personal page is just maddiejackson.net. Okay, perfect. And of course, all those links will be in today's show notes for those of you listening. And um, Maddie, thank you again for taking time to come on. I can't wait to introduce the listeners to you and for them to hear your story and get their hands on your book. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope this lifts somebody up and just, Josh points them toward hope. Well, it is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps that you can implement into your life right now. I love how Maddie shared so openly about the loss of her husband and how she clung to God through her grief journey. Now, I'm sure you've heard that grief doesn't have a direct timeline. In fact, it looks different for everyone, and it's normal to bounce around between stages. So in today's episode, on the show notes on my website, I have provided a couple of different worksheets for you that I get from Therapist Aid, and we're going to talk about those today. So if you want to download them, you can. My website is just my name, rachelgilbert.com. You can go to the podcast tab, and it's going to be there on the latest podcast episode, But here's what I want to do first. Uh, You can download those, but even if you can't download them, you can just listen right now. And then I would encourage you, go grab them. And I call this, and this is something I'm really going to start doing even more so with you all. I've been doing this, and I'm going to do it even more moving forward. I want you to fill your toolbox with all kinds of tools that you can use when you need it. And sometimes it might be for yourself. Sometimes it might be for a friend or a family member. You know, maybe this isn't you. Maybe today you're going, well, I'm not processing grief right now. I would tell you two things. One, you will be at some point. So it's great to already have tools in your toolbox for when that day comes. But two, I guarantee you know somebody in your life who is processing some grief. 
So let's start for a second and talk about some types of grief and maybe just some things that you may or may not know about grief. And I'm reading from the worksheet that you guys have access to. So no need to take notes. You can, like I said, just download that and then you'll just have that in your toolbox. So here's the definition of grief. It's the natural emotional response resulting from a significant loss especially something like the death of a loved one. Now, grief can come from all types of things. I think a lot of times we think of it just as death, uh, which obviously that's a really big, significant one. But grief can come from a divorce. It can come from a loss of a job or a big change, maybe something in health, you know, a, a medical diagnosis. All kinds of things can cause us to process some grief. So I just want to sh- throw that out there to you to kind of open your mind to the forms of grief that it can come in. Uh, Everyone deals with grief differently. If you haven't noticed that, some people cry, laugh. Uh, They might, you might busy yourself with work. Some people throw up or even feel numb. And some recover quickly while others take their time. And there's really just no right way to grieve, but really just trusting the process that your body and your mind knows what you need for that day. Uh, For some people, grief can become too painful and it can grow into something totally different. It can take on forms like depression or anxiety. Other times, grief may last far too long and it could just take over a person's life. And this is what we call complicated grief. So I'm going to briefly share with you, and again, you have access to this diagram. I highly recommend grabbing it because it's just such a great tool to have. So let me talk briefly about the three different types of grief. And again, this is a highlighted bullet point. This, you know, obviously this whole podcast wasn't just on grief. And so this is a short segment. So I'm kind of just introducing you to these concepts. But take them, use what you want, and, you know, maybe store away the other things for later. So the first thing is acute grief. So this is immediately after a loss and for the months afterwards. You know, acute grief would be the day that you, you know, heard that your loved one died or something like that. Like that, these are the the days that follow, the weeks that follow. So this is the time where there's usually a lot of intense symptoms like shock, distress, sadness, poor appetite, uh, hard time sleeping, having a hard time concentrating. And these types of symptoms will slowly diminish with the passage of time. You know, Maddie and I talked a little bit and she has a whole chapter in her book about time and healing. And and while time will not um, heal something if we're not dealing with it, it is important to know that some of these real intense symptoms of grief absolutely will go down with time because you get out of that acute phase. Just like when you have an acute injury in your body, like for example, if you broke an arm, those first days and weeks that follow are the most intense in pain, right? Because your body is just in shock and doing what it needs to do to bring healing. That's kind of the same thing here. So be encouraged if you're in this acute phase of grief currently, it will pass. It won't stay forever. Um, those, Those intense feelings anyways won't stay forever. Um, Now here, let's talk about complicated grief. So sometimes, not always and, and rarely, but sometimes the symptoms of acute grief never seem to quite completely go away. And sometimes they can last for years. So the loss of a loved one, it can continue to feel unreal or unmanageable. And you might constantly yearn for the deceased or experience guilt about the idea of moving on and accepting the loss. And and if you find yourself or know somebody in this area of complicated grief, this is the point that if you have not yet gone to see your own personal therapist, 
you need to, and you need to get your your friend or your family member in because once it turns into complicated grief, that's when we definitely want to say, oh, we really need to, you know, this is why I'm a huge fan of getting a help right away as soon as you can so that we don't complicate things more than it needs to. Um, I love to look for God in these things because isn't it interesting and just neat that the Lord knew we were going to go through hard times and he built in natural ways in our body to heal. It's just like uh, when we feel pain in our body because something happened, like I mentioned a second ago, a broken arm. I just think it's interesting, even though that hurts really badly, it's our body healing and our body going right to work to say, oh, we got to heal this. We need to, you know, our immune system needs to kick it into overtime and go heal this. And it's the same thing with grief. It's just a way that we're able to handle it with our emotions and, and mentally and spiritually. All right. Then the third type of grief is integrated grief. And so after resolving the most intense symptoms of acute or complicated grief, you will enter the lifelong stage of integrated grief. So at this point, you've come to accept the reality of the loss. You've resumed daily life activities. This doesn't mean that you don't miss your loved one any less so that you don't feel pain at their memory or maybe even still have those days where you have a memory that comes up about them and you just cry, but you've just learned how to cope now, right? And so acute grief may show itself again, especially around things like holidays, anniversaries, uh, the birthday of your loved one that you might have lost, um, but it's not as intense and it's much more manageable because you ha now have tools in your toolbox that can help you navigate that. Okay, so now that we've done a very brief description of some types of grief, I want to talk to you for a second about, um, there's a worksheet here. I do want to encourage you to download this one especially. It's called My Stages of Grief. And I think that if you've been around even for five minutes in this world, you've heard about the stages of grief. Now, there is some controversy about these stages. This used to be what therapists lived and died by when it came to grief. Um, but recent studies are showing eh, the stages may or may not be relevant to every single person. Big shocker, right? Because we're all wired differently. So I do think, though, the stages of grief are worth bringing up and they're worth mentioning that there's no such thing as I start in one stage and I progress through. I think that's why the word stages is a little confusing sometimes because when you think about a stage, you go, oh, I pat like if you're playing a video game, yay, I passed stage one. Now I get to go into stage two. Well, that's really not how grief works. Uh, grief is not linear. And sometimes you can bounce around between stages. And even from one day to the next, you can be in one stage and then go back to the other. And it can be confusing sometimes to people because they're kind of like, I thought I passed that stage. Why am I back in that stage and it feels defeating? Don't be defeated. That's just your body and your mind and everything about you going through each stage that it knows it needs in that moment, okay? So let's just briefly mention them. You've got denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And again, you're gonna rotate through these different stages. Um, so an example of denial is this can't be happening. An example of anger, why is this happening to me? Example of bargaining, I will do anything to change this. Uh, depression, what's the point of going on after this loss? And then acceptance, I know what happened and I can't change it, so now I need to learn how to cope. And here's what I want you to do as you look at this worksheet. I want you to, I gave you some examples and even on the worksheet, we've listed some examples for you of what that can sound like. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write 
what came up for you? So in each of these stages, if you've experienced the stage, you might have one of these stages you've not yet experienced, but describe how each of the stages of grief has affected you. And then I'm going to take it one step further because I am a Christian therapist. Where was God in each of these stages and where is he currently? I love how Maddie brought that back around on everything she did. It wasn't that she didn't go through these stages. It wasn't that she didn't, you know, face what what she was walking through, but she just didn't do it alone because, of course, she had the support of her friends and family and she leaned into the Lord and she said, hey, God, I, I'm going to agree. I'm going to mourn this loss, but do it with me. And she stood on her faith. And that's what I want to encourage you to do when you look at these stages I really want you to say, okay, Lord, where are you? Help me find you. Help me find my faith in this moment rather than going at it alone because you do not need to go through it alone, okay? So I hope this really brief, uh, I know this is actually a little bit longer because clearly I have more to say about grief than I realized because it is just so important and such a God-given gift that we have the ability to grieve when we need to. But I just, I hope this is a tool that you can put in your back pocket if you currently need to use it. Or it, like I said, pass this along to somebody you might know who needs to use it. Just get familiar with this kind of stuff because it's just great. The more of us who understand what's happening with people when they're walking through grief, it really helps us to walk alongside them even better and to encourage them in ways that we may not have been able to if we weren't able to put words to maybe what they were going through, okay? Well, before we go, I do just want to say a prayer. So Lord, I just ask that anybody who may be walking through a really hard time right now, trauma or grief or anything that came up for them in this episode, Jesus, wrap your loving arms around them. Send them the help that they need and help them to walk through this grief uh, process just with you hand in hand. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, friends, that concludes our Get Real Practical segment for today. If you loved today's episode, please either leave a review or share this episode with a friend just so that we can bring even more people into this community. I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel. Rachel.